Hello and welcome back to Jake's World, episode 60, I need to look, I lose track, it's episode 67 of Jake's World, presented by the Nuance Magazine, I'm your host, Jake Sawinski, and today is Wednesday, May 19th, and like I said last week, um, took that little break, and of course there were a ton of things to talk about over my hiatus, and uh, as I predicted, things were a little slower this week. I mean, of course, there's no terrible news stories every day that I mean I could just be a you know a revolving soapbox and talk about the same themes every episode, but there are a couple of takeaways from you know the last week that I can uh highlight a little bit just I'll get into it I'm not going to explain it off the top but um let's get the sports stuff out of the way too um I mean maybe I shouldn't talk about you know the the big development of the week over in the Middle East, but I'm probably going to. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Stanley Cup playoffs have started, and I am in ecstasy. Not gambling ecstasy. I mean, I've been pretty bad on the bet slips ever since hockey started. Did hit a little save your day parlay Monday. You know, all the favorites won. Took uh, Boston money line, took Carolina money line, took Colorado on the spread and uh, paid off for the Yankees losing by um, three runs yesterday sucked the old ladder on the White Sox they lost one and a half two and a half three and a half it's been a tough week so far but um I love playoff hockey I watch regular season hockey but a lot of people don't it's kind of like the NBA right I mean the product is I think is diminishing as the years go by just because um I don't know it's hard to pay attention to the long seasons like that and I mean I played baseball you know at a collegiate level even and um it's hard to for me to even watch baseball on TV I I don't watch it I watch it once the playoffs start just because it's like it's the same thing every day, right? I mean, I pay attention, of course. I gamble on it. I, I watch it from time to time. But it's hard to keep up with, um. you know, every season. Ooh, we got a fight. Sorry, I got distracted by the hockey fight. But um, it's hard to pay attention to the same thing over and over and over every day, especially with baseball. But even basketball and hockey, it's kind of a grind. You gotta really like the sport in order to in order to pay attention to it every day. Um, basketball, I mean, the NBA is so unique, right? College basketball is way different. You know, just the style of play, like the passions there, and like you know, it's fun watching like amateur sports, right? The NBA, they don't play defense, you know. It's all about headlines, and the NBA does a fantastic job of marketing their stars and the stories, and NBA free agency and, you know, the trade deadlines always, like, some of the best, you know, sports stories of the season, right? It's less about the games 
until the playoffs start and more about, you know, the off the court stuff and how the GMs and coaches run their teams and who says what and, you know, all that stuff. It gets a little bit more hype. And I think the actual gameplay kind of kind of gets lost until the playoffs start. But um, the play-in games did start. Now, last week I did criticize LeBron for his silly comments as he's due to play a game at 9 o'clock Central Time. I will not walk back on that criticism because I believe that criticism is fair. He um, was all for it with COVID because there, were a play, there was a play-in tournament and he, being the number one or number two seed in the East, or excuse me, the West, had no stake in the fight. So, of course, he's going to be like, yeah, that's a good idea. But um, he has to play it, and he's since walked back on that take. He's spineless, whatever. But um, I will say this. This is the strangest layout to a tournament I've ever seen. Like, I don't even know the rules. I didn't look them up, of course, but yesterday the East played, right? It's the Spurs, um, Spurs, Spurs are tonight. Tonight it's uh, Spurs, Grizzly, and Lakers, Warriors. 7, 8, 9, 10. Or 9, 10, 7, 8. Last night, Celtics, Wizards played. And then um, Pacers and Hornets played. And oh my god, the Hornets look bad. They lost by 35. Uh, the Celtics ended up winning late with Tatum's 50-burger. But um, what kind of tournament ever in the history of anything has 7-8 and eight playing and then have 9 and 10 playing. Now maybe that's just to reward the you know the higher seed for winning they're in. It's like they're safe. But to me that makes no sense. I mean think about it this way. It's not like you're playing the entire season to be seeded. Like you do in college basketball right? Um, oh here's Wilson and Marshan. But um. It's not like you're playing the whole season to be seeded in your regional like it is with college basketball, right? Of course, you get seeded in your conference tournament based on the way you were, you know, your standings finished at the end of the season. But a committee, a panel, it's the same thing in college football. A little bit. It's different because you're only playing one game, but the college football playoff works this way. You get selected. And the hard work you put into the season is rewarded when you're a higher seed. Why should you penalize a team for doing better than another and seed them in a jackass way like that? 7 and 8 play each other and the 9 and 10 play each other. Like Maybe that's to make it a little more competitive until the second game and like uh, whenever it is Thursday or Friday. Um... Boston was 7, they're in. I think the Wizards were 8, so they have to play the Pacers, who were 9. You know what I mean? It's like in any format ever, the high seed plays the low seed. It's a reward for the, you know, being better. I don't know, it's just goofy to me. Like, if it was 7 and 10 and 8 and 9, I feel like that would make more sense. And then the two, you know, I and I guess it's because they're bidding... Four, or four teams are bidding for two spots. So the high seed, or the winner of the set, you know, each team was in already, 
had it been a normal format, the winner of that game's in automatically, and then they got the eight seed or whoever would have lost has to defend the seven seed. I guess I think I kind of just answered my own question, but I really I don't know. It's just weird. I just feel like you're penalizing a team that's already earned a spot had it had they not been doing this you know playoff style whatsoever. They've already earned that spot. The two outsiders look or the two. You know what I mean? Two outside teams looking in to make a move should have to earn that every step of the way, in my opinion, anyways. But maybe it's because they're gambling off, or I shouldn't say gambling. Maybe it's, they got to earn two spots. Maybe that's why they did it that way. I mean, if you do a seven and eight, it's a lock. But uh, one of them would be in anyway. I don't know. It's just kind of a weird format. And um, I guess we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm really pulling for the Warriors tonight and uh got Grizzlies on the spread so hopefully the Grizzlies will have to uh you know they'll be able to just keep their um well the Grizzlies would have to play the loser of the 7-8 game Yes, or the winner has to play the loser of the 7-8 game. So, I guess we'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, otherwise, I mean, with the playoffs kicking off or everything, the sports have been kind of slow. I mean, the Preakness was uh, this weekend, or last weekend, I should say, and uh, there will not be a Triple Crown winner this year because um, Medina Spirit did not win the Preakness Stakes. And uh, I don't even remember what horse won. It was a... Uh, all the horses had cool names, but I don't remember what... <clears throat> I got to find it. It was a cool name. Uh, normally, I would let it slide, but like... Midnight Bourbon. That is a sick name. Such a sick horse's name. Um, Preakness Stakes Winner. Um, Rombauer, that is a sick-ass name. But, um, yep, Medina Spirit, Midnight Bourbon, and Rombauer finished first, second, and third in no particular order. But, um, mention that because, um, there was question whether or not the horse was going to be allowed to race. And, like, I think she, he, I'm not, I'm not sure how you correctly refer to horses, but um, I believe Medina Spirit had to pass like a drug test before the race, and um, I don't. That was such a bizarre scenario because the trainer was not there. Baffert's always been, you know, the center of attention as it comes to this, I guess. But um, I don't know. I really have nothing else intelligent to add to that matter, but. Triple Crown, you have to win Kentucky Derby, the Preakness Stakes, and uh, he's Belmont. Preakness, Belmont, Kentucky Derby. Dean Spirit didn't win. That's probably the last we're going to talk about horse racing. But the ponies are fun. That is certain. Ponies are fun. Um, I guess we can talk about hockey a little bit. Um. Bruins and Capitals kicked it off when, uh, geez, I can't even talk. Saturday night, um, 
was able to watch that at a bar. That was cool. Um, it was a really good game. Um, overtime winner, the Caps. Then Caps played game two on Monday night to split. Um, Washington being a home team has given up home ice advantage whenever the road team splits with you on the road they got three at home when it comes to basketball and hockey anyways but um it was um I love playoff hockey because like that's the sport to me that everything gets turned on for right I mean I mentioned LeBron earlier. LeBron's like a perfect example of, um, I wouldn't say low intensity, low intensity on defense, definitely, but controlled intensity all around. Like, he's not giving 100% out there. And nobody else is either. I say LeBron because he's like the easiest example to see. He turns it to another level when we get to the playoffs. The same is true for all these hockey guys, and it's really fun to watch because it seems like the game is just so much faster. It's full tilt. It's nonstop. The guys are flying around. The passion comes out. I mean, they're fighting in between whistles. And, like, this first round, all these teams already have played each other seven times, and I think in the Canadian division with one less team in there, they've played each other, like, eight or nine times depending on who drew the short straw or the long straw, right? It's it's fun to watch. All the games are close. They're intense. They're fast. That's the best part. They're fast. And, uh, I mean, this game's have been pretty chippy. Uh, talked a little, I don't even know if I talked about it a little bit. Tom Wilson, like, broke the hockey world. He's, uh, he's like almost the last enforcer, right? I mean, hockey in the 90s and the early 2000s was super physical, right? And you had guys that weren't on a team to score goals or make passes. Of course, they played their part in the offense, but there were guys, you know, on your bottom line, on a defenseman, like a bottom six defenseman, right? He's getting seven to ten minutes ice time every night. He's not like... uh, Brent Burns or John Carlson or Adam Fox or Duncan Keith. Guys like that. Roman Yossi, P.K. Subban. Um, I, I say Brent Burns. Um, guys like that. Uh, Victor Hedman. The offensive defensemen who play physical, but they can score points. Ooh, shoots he scores. Capitals. Um, th- these guys... Uh, they're out there to play. They were. They used to be out there to play a menacing role. Some of them, and that's not the case anymore. Uh, the fighting has kind of been eliminated from the game a little bit. It's discouraged. And um, you see a lot of that um, come out. Not the fighting until the very end of the game, and then it boils over because you know it's like controlled. You got to keep your emotions in check for the. The course of the game, right? Because, I mean, it's a playoff game. There's implications to, you know, the officials having to break up a fight and then throw the guys in the box for five minutes. And, I mean, a lot of times the guys who fight are intricate, play intricate roles in your offense. You don't want 
you don't want a, the outcome of a game being decided because you had to separate two guys and send them each to the box. You don't want that to be the case. But the frustrations boil over in this Washington-Boston series. They're typical interdivisional rivals, right? I mean, Zidane Chara was a, the captain for the Boston Bruins for how many years? He signs with Washington in the offseason. There's some bad blood. Tom Wilson got every under everybody's skin a couple weeks ago when he um, got in a little bit of hot water because of um, his between-the-whistles conduct with Pavel Buchnevich and Artemi Panarin, former Blackhawk great of the New York Rangers. Uh, a lot of people in the league thought he should have gotten in trouble. I don't think he should have. You can't penalize a player for um, doing something that happens a lot, but you I don't, yeah, I don't even know if I explained it really much just because when I did the podcast, a lot of the fallout was kind of in the middle of happening. Um, you can't penalize a guy for a potential outcome when the outcome of that happens to other players. That made no sense. Okay. The, you know, the head shoving and the face washing and the stick checks between guys happen between the whistles all the time. Most of the time, nobody gets hurt except two things. Tom Wilson's a repeat offender, and Panarin got hurt. He got a, he had a concussion after Tom Wilson slammed his head on the ice, and he had he missed the last couple of games of the season. But those little things happen all the time, and you can't penalize a guy because of an injury because it happens all the time, right? You can't penalize the result. You have to penalize the action. If you're going to penalize him and, you know, suspend him and fine him, you have to do it for everybody. And then, like, then the game would totally change. So I wasn't a big fan of all his criticism, even though he is a fucking rat. I mean, he's a dirty player at times, but he's skilled, too. I mean, that's kind of my whole point. I'm circling around it. He's a very good hockey player now I mean five six years ago would that have been the same story no he's kind of the last enforcer um Evander Kane's pretty skilled on the San Jose Sharks he's pretty physical Ryan Reeves is probably the actual last enforcer right I mean he doesn't contribute a ton offensively he can but he's a menace he fights a lot and he's a he's a big boy um Tom Wilson has that reputation, except he can do a lot more with the puck, not just, you know, getting on the body and getting under people's skin. So, but it's nice to see in the Stanley Cup playoffs because all that happens. I mean, the Blues and the Avalanche got into it after their game Monday night. Um, I think um, Oilers and Jets are playing game one tonight. There's another game where it got really chippy, too. I don't remember which one it was, though, because not all the series have started yet. I thought uh, Carolina and Nashville was fine. Vegas, uh, Wild, that one was fine. Yeah, the Canada teams didn't kick off yet. And that's a whole different story with the logistics of getting those guys around Canada with Canada being primarily shut down. Oh, uh, Monday night, Carolina, packed house. Oh, that was so cool. I mean, 
I'm looking at it right now. There is not a seat empty in there, and it, it looks incredible. Sports are back. Sports are so back. And if you're not watching them, what are you doing? Anywho, okay. I mean, that pretty much sums up the sports stuff for now. Now, what I want to talk about is what is going on in the Middle East right now. Now, I have a little bit of historical knowledge of the situation. Sophomore year of college, I wrote my term paper on the Six-Day War. Um, it's for Middle Eastern history. Middle Eastern history did not start, is not classified with ancient history. This course started with imperialism in the Middle East. Um, um, British colonialism or imperialism, economic interests, right? Um, Fallout World War One was a big thing too because a part, okay, World War One had a lot of major players and a lot of people, with, especially with World War One, really focus on Europe, right? But World War One was just as much of a world war as World War Two was. The Ottoman Empire ruled over the Middle East and northern Africa for a few hundred years. The Ottoman Empire was allied with um, Germany and um, who are the major players? The Triple Entente, uh, the Entente powers. It was uh, Germany, Soviet Union, or Russia at the time wasn't the Soviet Union yet. They pulled out of the war because of the Bolshevik Revolution. Um, it was Russia, Germany, and the Ottomans. Those were the big three. The Ottoman Empire was dissolved because of fallout from the end of World War One. Germany was occupied for a little while until the Weimar Republic was established and the Great Depression happened and all, you know, hyperinflation into the millions of percent loaf of bread costs four wheelbarrows full of Deutschmarks and then World War II happened. But the British ruled over the Middle East. World War II happened. Holocaust happened. The United Nations gave a charter or the Zionist movement was popular in the West, you know, throughout Europe and for Reparations from the Holocaust, the United Nations granted Israel land belonging to Palestine at the time along the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where Israel was established. Now, throughout, that happened in 1947 or 1948. In the 70 years since that, they have been constantly fighting over it. Now, it's weird for me to form an unbiased opinion just because of my upbringing, right? In America, I mean, most people are pro-Israel. We've always had a pro-Israel government. How do you think they're defending themselves right now from American military hardware, from French and British military hardware that we discard and sell to them? 
we fund them. All this stuff. We have interests over there. Um, our, the spy agency over there, Mossad and the CIA are very tight. Um, especially since um, 9-11. With, you know, Al-Qaeda and uh, Hezbollah and all those groups. There's so many jihad groups. And uh, we call them terrorist groups. That fuck that I'm not being politically correct. They're terrorists, but um Israel and the United States are really tight, and so are a lot of its citizens. Like we align ourselves the same way. I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic. They teach it's the land of the Jews, right? But the thing is, oh geez, gores on the power play. Sebastian Ow. I love hockey so much. Anyways, um, We gave, or I shouldn't say we, because it wasn't the United States. It was everybody in the United Nations at the time. Gave Israel this land. And they have been fighting for it ever since. And I wrote my paper in college on the Six-Day War between between Israel and, you know, the United States, France, and England's military support between the Arab League and the Soviet Union, a.k.a. was an extension of the Cold War, right? Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and a couple other countries, you know, banded together and wanted to retake Israel. Now, here's the problem. When I say it like that, it sounds like, oh, Israel has been constantly defending itself since its very official existence, which is kind of true. But the problem is the charter that the United Nations writ, wrote in 1947 only covered certain territories inside of Palestine. Israel occupies, or did at one time, the land is the territory or the borders or boundaries of Israel have been changing a lot ever since its creation. It's expanded and shrunk multiple times because they have been fighting wars for quite some time. I mean, it's almost nonstop. Um, in the 60s, the Six-Day War happened, 1967. Egypt and Jordan and a couple of other countries invade Israel simultaneously. Three fronts. Israel was attacked from the Sinai Peninsula by Egypt. The Sinai is that, you know, where the Su they cross the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal crisis is exactly that part of that. Our interests were we cannot have the canal zone, you know, being annexed by Egypt and them shutting down trade or vice versa. We, we needed that open and flowing so oil could leave the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz and go through the Mediterranean Sea via the Suez Canal. So, of course, we're going to want peace there, peace and quiet. Israel needed to defend themselves from the Sinai Peninsula. This from the southwest. With three, there are three major areas that this fighting has occurred then and is still kind of occurring now. 
Gaza Strip, West Bank, the Golan Heights. Israel occupies these zones, but they were annexed. You know, they were taken over by force and not officially recognized as their territory. Very similar to what Nazi Germany did to Austria before World War II in 1938. They took over Austria without firing a shot. They surrendered, but the United or the powers at B was I don't know if it was technically the League of Nations still, because the United Nations was, you know, that was started post World War II, so maybe it was still the League of Nations. The United States wasn't in that though. Um, they didn't. They weren't internationally recognized, but Israel is, but not in these areas that have heavily, they're heavily populated by Palestinians. And to circle back around, all of this happened because of protesting in these areas, right? Because technically, in the Gaza Strip, Israel is, you know, they have jurisdiction there illegitimately. And from what I can tell, Palestinian people want them out. Um, Hamas is a, an extremist group. Represents Palestinian interests who were um, shooting rockets or missiles, whatever you want to call them, at Israel, right? And um, in light of all these protests, Israel, you know, fought back. And um, they're in some hot water from what I can see because um, Netanyahu... Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the Prime Minister of Israel, has been a long time, and he's very, um, I'd say, aggressive, I guess is the word you could say. But it's such a weird situation, too, because uh, they're planning these strategic bombs, these bombing missions against Hamas in these residential neighborhoods that they're hiding in, using, you know, to wage war against Israel, right? And, um... They call and give notice that, like, you have two hours to evacuate. We're going to, you know, destroy this residential area because it like, has access to, you know, tunnels and however Hamas operates, right? And that's not a good look. You know, you're blowing up residential areas. And um, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's such a weird situation because there are really two things to look at here. One is the unlawful rule from one country to another. Then two, it's the way they wage war. Right? Like, it's just so strange because it's like Israel's been constantly defending themselves for the last how many years, right? And they're still doing it today. And now they're taking scrutiny over the re- like from the rest of the world, it seems like. Um, is this a direct consequence of our president? Yes. 100%. That pri- the Obama administration and now the Biden administration is very soft on the major player when it comes to radicalism in the Middle East. And that is Iran. Iran is a theocracy. 
religious rule. There's a reason why we have church and state separated here, so things like that don't happen. They're very soft on Iran. We shouldn't be giving them money for anything. They harbor terrorists. So does Pakistan. Saudi Arabia was the same case, you know, years ago. But we have oil interests there now. And I mean, say what you want about President Trump. But um, what he accomplished in the Middle East was a very, very good thing. This may not have happened had um, he still be in office. Oops. Um, what's I gonna say? Um, <clears throat> fuck! I just lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, here we go. When it comes to things like that, and from what I notice in the Middle East, it's very different there. I'm gonna speak a little unfiltered here. I find it very strange that um, the people who like to say. I see this on Twitter. Twitter's a cesspool. And I shouldn't take it seriously, but it kind of, you know, keeps me thinking. The people who say free Palestine are always women. White women who don't understand anything about the situation. Women are very supportive of a, um, a culture that is very oppressive of women. I find that very strange. Not so much in America, but over there, I mean, you think, like, Christians are typically conservative. Not in their political leanings, but the way they live their life. Look at Muslims. Devout Muslim women are not allowed to show anything besides their, any skin besides their face in public. The culture is so different there. And white women here, 6,000 miles away, who don't know anything about anything, are saying free Palestine. Like, what? Get a clue. Don't talk about things you don't understand. Some issues I shouldn't talk about, but this one I understand. Like, that makes no sense to me. And two, I've studied history for... Pretty much all my life. I have a $80,000 piece of paper that says I earned the right to talk about it a little bit. And I started taking college level courses in history 10 years ago. 8 years ago, 10 years ago. The Middle East has been at war for that, I don't know, 1,000 mile square radius since humans have been writing history. The three largest, I shouldn't say the, the three, I should say three of the four largest religions in the world, the exception of Hinduism, all claim that sacred city, Jerusalem, is theirs. It is, the, it is a holy city in Islam. Not the holy city. They have two. Medina and Mecca. You, Muslims go to Mecca for a pilgrimage. It's like their fifth pillar of Islam. They circle the... Oh, what's that fucking big square called? There's a name for it. It's like... It's not... It's 
looks like a mausoleum, but it's really not a mausoleum. What the hell is that called? Mecca Square. There's like a certain word for it, and I can't think of it. Mecca Square, the Kaaba, meaning cube in Arabic, is a square building elegantly draped in a silk and cotton veil located in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. It is the holiest shrine in Islam. Those are the two most important cities in Islam, Mecca and Medina. Medina Spirit, look at that. Connect the dots. But, <coughs> excuse me, but Jerusalem is also a holy city in Islamic religion. In Judaism, obviously, um, that land was awarded to them via covenant between Moses and God. And the same is true of Christianity. Christianity has this new book called the New Testament. The Old Testament and the Torah, the Hebrew holy, or the Jewish holy book of Judaism, are very identical. I believe, unless this has changed, practicing um, Jews believe in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, but not the New Testament. They did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, and their Messiah is yet to come. They've been fighting in the Middle East for, when did history technically start? Um, I mean, history, like modern history, modern ancient history, like 6,000 years ago. Countless tribes have been fighting for that. I mean, the first people of Mesopotamia, the Sumers and the Assyrians, They've all been fighting for it, the Egyptians, in a way. Um, you go further, the Persians. Cyrus the Great was a the king of was a king of Persia. He liberated the Jews and sent them back to their home. Um, Abraham, the Chaldeans, all those there. They've all been. This land has been exchanging hands for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And that's why Middle Eastern peace deals are praised so much because that's all they know. All they understand is brute respect. That's why George Bush looks like such a jackass when we went over on a democracy building mission in Iraq to topple Hussein. Leaving Hussein in power, as horrible of a human being he was for ethnic cleansing and, you know, waging war with Iran and invading Kuwait, you know, killing his own people for the stability of the region so open war didn't break out, he was the best thing for that. Brutal dictators keep their people in line and wars aren't fought, you know, internationally. And it's a horrible thing to say because, I mean, it's a really shitty situation, but they keep the peace. Look what happened when we installed a brutal dictator in Iran in the 1950s and um, the Ayatollah toppled them. That whole, the Shah, that whole administration or royal family. You have Iran, Iran, whatever, however you want to call it. 
that's all they know. They don't understand the concepts of democracy because the people have always lived under monarchy. The developed countries of that region, you know, UAE, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, they have a royal family. Kuwait, I believe they have a royal family. All those countries are um, major players in the region, not necessarily because they're democracies, but because they have oil. They're participants in the Western world. So, I don't know. Like, to circle back on the whole thing, I've said that too much, but to, you know, come full circle and everything that's kind of hap- been happening over there the last few days, it's like, one, it's hard to take a side because both sides are kind of wrong, but two, it's like, what do you do? It's inevitable. Two people are f- or two factions are fighting over complete... Com- they're fighting over what they believe is rightfully theirs because some book says so. It's like, compromise? They did that already. It didn't work. Good compromise leaves both parties completely unhappy, but you could compromise, you could drop the best thing, and neither party would be happy. I mean, Israel's extremely aggressive in there. You know, territorial pursuits of the Golan Heights and the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. The Palestine is, you know, they've been represented by the powers that be in the region and have tried to wage war against Israel for a long time. So, I mean, some advice, I guess. It's good to have opinions on things and it's good to, like, Voice your opinion and defend your opinion as long as it makes sense and you're open to listen to other differing opinions and not judging someone because they have a different opinion. That's utmost important. That's of the utmost importance, right? It's good that you take a side. You don't want to be standing in the middle. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? Because no matter what you think about the whole situation, it's never going to stop. Since we started recording history, it hasn't stopped. I don't know. It's just some food for thought, I guess. I mean, the news will cover it one way, and another news network will cover it another way, and the truth is somewhere in between that. But it's been going on for a long time, and it's never going to stop. So, I mean... That's just my take on it, I guess. I don't know. Fucking Israel, though. Some of the footage of the shit that's going on over there, though, is absurd. I don't know why anybody would ever want to mess with America. That's our discarded military hardware on top of their own advancements. Could you imagine the things that the United States military has? It would blow your fucking mind. I see it. I see it every day. They're in the harbor. Those are boats. And I don't know shit about them. The Air Force? Oh my god. Unbelievable. Anyways, um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at jakesawinski8. That's at J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I-8. Have a good week, guys. Watch some sports. Watch some fucking sports. Talk to you next time. Peace.